What's up, guys? Welcome into another episode of the Betting Predators podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rodriguez. You can find me on Twitter at CoachJRod1. I am once again blessed with the professional himself, Dave Essler. You can find Dave on Twitter at Dave underscore Essler. Dave, I know many people have been waiting for the results and they've came in. You cannot get out of it now. Uh, I think you are officially my uncle. And uh, like I said, there's no running from it. Well, I guess if the DNA test came back, you know, I, I, I can't argue that. So, you know, welcome to the family, my friend. Perfect. Uh, you know, my inheritance has just risen, um, probably doubled, um, especially with you having as good of a week as you did last week. Uh, so I'm happy to be a part of the family. Before we, we get into the games, you know, we have a good set of games here um, today that we're going to talk about and look at from a bunch of different angles. I wanted to talk to you just a little bit. You know, I'll kind of use an analogy. You know, if, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody like Conor McGregor or a high-profiled UFC fighter, you're probably not going to start a fight with them if you're just an average dude. That would be like kind of suicide for yourself on the streets. Now, for those of you that don't know, I know probably all of you do, but Dave is a big timer. He has some really, really high-profile friends in Vegas, uh, one that runs a podcast and is often on ESPN. Um, he is a staple as a presenter on uh, pregame and on uh, the dream preview. And I, be, be, before I go into it, I just want to say that every line that we get, um, every movement, every betting percentage that we mention on this podcast, it comes from pregame. I'm a subscriber. I put my money into it. If I had a make-a-wish, my make-a-wish would be to sit down with Fezzik and R.J. Bell and Dave Essler in some steakhouse in New York and, and talk about wagering and whatnot. But Dave, last week on the podcast, on The Dream, your boy R.J. said some not-so-nice things about the state of Nebraska and maybe the people living in it. And I'm not going to be that guy who picks a fight with somebody like an R.J. Bell, but if you need to put it in his ear, you can your nephew was not very happy about some of the things that he mentioned. Well, you know, I wouldn't take it personal because I don't think he said Justin is not a nice person. I think he made a generalization and you know, that's okay because I would make generalizations about people that live in California. Um, I would make generalizations about people that live in Texas and, you know, perhaps Nebraska, but I could be wrong. So you know, and, and the other thing you got to remember is that, you know, some of this is marketing and image. And, you know, I think any attention is good attention. So I guess if he can stir up attention, whether it's even negative attention from people in Nebraska, that's probably why he did it. But I will mention it to him that he's rubbed some people the wrong way. Uh, but then again, um, you know, I know RJ well enough to know what his retort will be and it won't make any difference. No doubt. Now, RJ is one of the smartest people um, that you could possibly uh, come across. You know, he really started what is, I consider, like the Shark Tank of betting. You know, these millionaires on Shark Tank, the TV show, they don't have time to come up with all these great ideas, but they have the assets and they have the money. So what do they do? They create a show and people bring all their million dollar ideas to them and they use their money and they make money off of it. RJ is one of the greatest information processors that I've really ever listened to. He brings all these smart people around him, 
uh, you're included in that conversation. And even though he may have an opinion on something, he analyzes everything so well, whether it be Fezzik, AJ, you, anybody. And what he can do with processing that information and then turning that into decent or better information and then making money off of it is absolutely insane. So I, you know, I applaud him for that because um, he's one of the smartest people that I listen to on a daily basis. So um, one thing I did want to fact check with you now, he said this a couple of times, is it true or not true? You are one of the most winningest handicappers on pregame and pregame history. Now, before you answer to the listeners, Dave is the most humble person you could probably ever come across in this game. He's not flashy with it. Um, every bet that he makes and that he gives out to his people, whether that be premium or free, he puts a lot of pride into that. Um, so this is not him pumping himself up, but I just want to spotlight this for some of the listeners that may not know. You know, if he says it's true, it probably is because I'm sure there's people that have a decade's worth of records that would, would question it if it wasn't. And you know, I can only tell you what I've done. And since I don't track the other, however many there are people, um, even if I had time, it's not something I would do. He's probably right. Um, and he said that to me a while back. And I said, really? I was like, you know, I, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I almost started to want to use that as like a marketing tag of mine. Like, well, you know, it is what it is, but I decided not to because it does sound a little bit arrogant and it might offend some people, but it's probably true. I, I don't know for a fact, but I do know that if RJ said it, um, it's probably verifiable. I think the true part about that is that you're superstitious like an old baseball player and you figure the minute you put that out there, those huh. picks are starting to go down you quick. You know it, honey, you know it. <laughs> you know, here comes the 2-18 and 18 run. Exactly, exactly. We don't have to get into the, uh, oh, um, what is the speech they give on, um, oh, that baseball movie with Kevin Costner. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Bull Durham. You know, he talks about the difference between AAA and getting to the bigs and it's just so marginal, you know, blue pit there, uh, you know, uh, just something squeaking by the shortstop. So we don't want to put you on that bad run because it's already razor thin uh, margins for wagers as far as, you know, who's good and who's not. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I want to be walking out that gangplank there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I kind of walk out every day, um, but I've usually got a safety net. And <laughs> let's, just, let's just keep trying to win, my friend. Absolutely. Um, so we're, one more thing before we get into the game. We actually had a, uh, a, a fan on Twitter uh, right at you, and you mentioned to me that you wanted to bring it up on the podcast. So I'm going to throw my short two cents in about it first, and then I'll let you take it away. Um, generally, the question was about hedging, uh, when to do it, if you do do it, how much do you do it on, this, that, and the other. And my general consensus is, is I hate hedging for a couple different reasons. One, when I'm really putting my money on these picks in these games, I'm doing a lot of work behind it. Um, I'm not just looking at one thing. Normally it's five or six different sources and I'm spending anywhere from, you know, 45 minutes to an hour looking up stuff and then thinking about it and processing it. And when I make a hedge, it almost feels like I'm throwing that work out the window. In the opposite standpoint of it, Sometimes we learn new information and sometimes thing change, things change. And I'm not above understanding that maybe what I thought on Monday is different now on Thursday. So in some cases, I will if it was a large bet. 
But since I've become more disciplined with my wagers and my wager amounts as I get older, it's really something that I do less and less. The only time you're really going to see me do that is every single Sunday. It's a tradition of mine. I put down $15 on like an 18 parlay. And every now and then I'll be like five for five going into the afternoon or something like that once a year. And then I may hedge on that amount just so that way I could recoup a little bit. But other than that, I'm not a huge fan. What about you, Dave? Well, you know, I could probably talk for hours on that because to me, it's situational. I mean, I don't think any two hedge opportunities are alike from a couple of standpoints. You know, number one, you know, if somebody bet a hundred bucks, do they want to hedge? Well, it's only a hundred bucks. And to some people, a hundred bucks is a lot of money. They might want to hedge. And I think, you know, you know, one extreme would be like a futures bet, if you will. You know, say, say you put a hundred bucks on, on, you know, the Cincinnati Reds to win total to be under, you know, um, and you uh, had that at 50 to one uh, or whatever the number might be. I mean, obviously that you wouldn't, it would be one minus 110. But if you had a, a, a 50 to one future and you had a hundred bucks and you stood to make five grand, well, you know, then I might hedge a grand because I'm like, you know, I've done all this work and, you know, I, I might want to make a grand or, or four grand instead of lose a hundred bucks. Um, but then there's the whole thing about like in a, in a daily thing, like, all right, I've, I've hit two of three teams in a particular bet. Um, do I hedge? And in those particular instances, probably not. I mean, you know, to me, I wouldn't make a, uh, an emotional short-term hedge decision on a daily basis like that. Now, with that said, I'll give you an example. Uh, what I would do on a daily basis is oftentimes I know if I'm in that position, whether or not I'm going to hedge before that position arises. You know, for example, and I'll do this a lot on, on uh, in the NFL on Sundays, oftentimes if there's a, a three-point favorite in a, in a Sunday night game, I will, without even knowing who, you know, what team is on the rotation number, I will take the underdog and bet him up to nine and then tease him with somebody that I really like during the day, knowing that I really don't care if I win that first half, I'm going to go back and take the other team on the money line and try to win both. But then again, I'm not talking about a buttload of money. It's, you know, a few hundred bucks I might've been prepared to lose in the first place. So, you know, I don't think that there's a, a really good answer for that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, if somebody has a, a hedge opportunity and I'm on Twitter, which I usually am, I would tell you what I would do in that particular instance. But, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of times it's personal choice, you know, related to your bankroll, you know, how much is it going to hurt you to lose? Uh, is, or is it, is it an emotional thing? Is it a greedy thing? You know, I mean, you got to answer all those questions before you can get into the numbers because oftentimes like hedging, like take a, take a, a two-team money line baseball parlay, if you will, and you've got two teams that are, you know, minus 200, and you've made a, a two-team parlay at, at plus 120 or what have you, and the first team wins. So technically you have now team B, which was minus 200. You have them at plus 120. 
So you have a dollar twenty worth of equity built before the game even starts. Do you really want to give that away? I don't know. That's a again. Then it becomes okay. Um, I thought I might hedge with the run line on the other team and hope for a one-run game and win both. Or you know maybe I want to hedge some of it. Um, you know for my money in that particular instance, no, I wouldn't hedge because I've just gained you know over a dollar's worth of equity and and that is. Um, you know, something you just don't want to give back. It was like the equity in your house, you know, how much do you want to give back? Well, none. So I don't know that I could really give a detailed substantive. This is what I would do when I would do it. Cause they are all a bit different. And like my guy, Kevin Kisner said, that's why this ain't a hobby folks. You're not going to find this kind of insight pretty much anywhere else. You're going to find it on the dream preview. Obviously they have high level guys, but the betting predators podcast is just bringing you tons of information and not only just information, high level information for free. Dave, thanks for your insight. Without further ado, in the name of RJ, my idol first game. Unranked Michigan State is 2-0. They're going to travel to Miami, ranked number 24 in the country, coming in at 1-1. Opening line on this game is Miami, minus 7, over under 55. Current line, Miami, minus 6.5, over under 57. Quarterback Peyton Thorne for Michigan State has been very impressive through the first two starts, completing 65% of his passes, five touchdowns, and zero interceptions. While Miami hasn't looked as good, they have played some formidable opponents, and obviously the best in the country, Michigan State, and an App State team who's not too bad themselves. Um, it looks like the public likes Michigan State just a tad here. Um, are, are you going to give the edge to the Spartans, or are you going with Miami, Dave? I could find a lot of reasons to completely not even talk about this game because there's so many variables in, you know, just let's just look at the first couple of games. Miami, quote unquote, they held Alabama to 44, uh, but that was basically through only three quarters. And they were obviously unimpressive against App State. Um, you know, is App State that good? Maybe. I, I don't know. One could argue, I think, that, you know, the Canes might have been looking ahead to some extent. But, you know, I don't see Miami rushing for 175 yards against the Spartans. Uh, but, you know, Youngstown State ran for 167 on the Spartans, and I think they converted 13 of 20, third or fourth down. So, you know, I, I don't know that I have the respect for the Spartan defense that maybe I, I once did. You know, with that said, the Spartans were, were down three key defensive ends last week. Um, in our offense, you know, one thing Michigan State has been good at, they're running the ball. They've never been a high-octane offense. Having said that, um, I would think Tucker does not want to shoot out here. Uh, one might think Manny Diaz does, but, you know, remember, he's been a defensive coach most of his career, uh, which started under Mickey Andrews at Florida State. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the under. Uh, I don't trust Derek King dropping back a ton. And honestly, I don't think Diaz does either. Um, he's had his high moments. He's been six years in college football now. So, you know, he's got the experience. Uh, but versus top 25 teams, uh, and I know the Spartans are just outside that, I think, is uh, King's completion percentage last year was uh, just 54%. And in his other full good year with Houston, um, he had one game against a top 25 team, which was South Florida, uh, which was obviously barely at the time. Um, and he put up numbers, but he also threw two picks that year. And I think he only had six all year. So, you know, the point is, I think he's overrated. Um, you know, you mentioned Thorne, on the other hand, these look good, but, you know, to me, against who? I mean, you know, they haven't played anybody. And, you know, he did play as a freshman last year at Penn State and at, at Iowa. So, 
a big road game, I don't think, is, is not his first and he won't be overwhelmed. But, you know, with all that in mind, uh, the heat and humidity of South Florida might be too much for Michigan State. I remember a couple of years ago, I faded Michigan State early uh, in this exact situation. They had, they had looked good at home. They went to Arizona State as favorites and lost outright. So in as much as I hate laying that many points with Miami, um, I think I have to. And also, as I said, I think it's a lower scoring game, so I want the under. Um, and this is a noon kickoff, so, you know, they are going to play in max heat. And I think ultimately that will probably push Miami over the top. Um, I like it. I don't love it. I don't trust Miami. Um, but I can't get to Michigan State. Yeah, so for those who don't know, me and Dave, before we go into the podcast and before we sit down and discuss the game, we never shared notes. So it's always really amazing for me as a fan of Dave when we kind of have um, the same thought process in some things. And one of the things that I highlighted um, was the Michigan State travel. You know, we talk about it in the NFL quite often. It's always a, a big level of concern when a West Coast team goes east. And I know we're not going all the way uh, around the country here um, for this type of travel for Michigan State. But when I think about college, I always think of the aspect that we're betting on children and I say that because obviously I'm a lot older than these guys um Dave is probably close to their age closer than I am so he, he's right up there but Michigan State's going to Miami they are traveling for really the first time I know they played at Northwestern but that's more of a hop skip and a jump there um the start time and the weather definitely was concerning to me the other thing is is we have some guys there it's their first time in Miami maybe it's our first time in Florida they're on Instagram they're taking pictures they're just kind of happy to be there you know, they're 2-0. and They see that Derek King has problems. He's only thrown for one touchdown and two interceptions for the first two games. And um, I just don't know if they're going to be there, if, they're, if that program's ready to be there in Miami on a business trip. And maybe I will be proven wrong. But I think travel in college is something that we need to look at just a little bit more than we do um, already when we talk about, um, you know, what side we're on and what side we're favoring. And another thing that I want to point out is that every time, obviously, we don't have have enough time in the day to watch every college football game. Nobody does. But whenever we're doing our handicap or we're looking forward to the week, one thing I personally do is I go back and I watch the condensed version of every single game that I'm going to be previewing. To me, Dave, Derek King does not look right. I know he had that season-ending injury a year ago, even on some explosive plays that he's had for positive yardage. It looks like he's just come up gimpy a little bit. But like you said, it's really, really hard to lay that number because we don't trust Diaz. We don't trust Miami. But at the same time, I don't know if Michigan State's going to be ready for this first true road, uh, road trip in the weather, early start. You know, are they going to just be waking up? Are they going to have too good of a time that night? This, that, and the other, all stuff that are not statistics, but things that I think about when thinking about um, uh, college games and, and college travel. But um, do you think that's something that you notice as well? Do you think that travel in college is not talked about enough? Um, yeah, I do, actually. I think that. Um, you know, and, and you, you, you nailed it. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. And, and, and I think that's definitely something that, you know, they probably just don't handle that well, especially early in the season, you know, uh, you know, traveling to play, um, I'll just pick on app state app state in a, in a 30,000 seat stadium, maybe less, but, you know, traveling to play Miami, and I realize they don't draw the fans that they used to, but, you know, it's a big stadium. So, yeah, I, I, it's to me, it's far more of a factor than it is in the NFL. And you got to remember, you know, 
a lot of these guys only do it three times a year. Um, some of these favorable schedules, some of these bigger teams have. So yeah, I do. I think it's a huge deal. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So um, I think we're going to go lean Miami there, but no, no overall likes. One thing I do want to mention is that um, if you are looking at the over under, I lean really close to a like on the under just because Michigan's averaging 299 rushing yards per game. And if they do keep it close there in Miami and find themselves in a tight game, they're going to lean on that to close out the clock or keep a lead if they can get it early. Next game, we have the powerhouse in Tuscaloosa, number one, Alabama coming in at two and oh, who would have thought they're going to go travel to Florida, take on the Gators, number 11 in the country, who are also two and oh. Dave, I'm going to let you get into this and go whichever way you want with it, but I just want to have a, a statement that I'd like to say beforehand. Um, this game's interesting to me for a couple of reasons, but to be honest, I really don't ever have a strong take when it comes to Alabama. Uh, I told you about a story off air a couple of weeks ago where I just got burned by them a very, very long time ago, and I've developed a couple uh, betting habits, and one of those is to never, ever bet against Nick Saban. Um, you know, it's... <clears throat> It's so hard because when you look at no matter who they play, and I'd love to get your insight on it, they're always going to have the best coach. They're always going to have the better players. And 99% of the time, they're going to have the better quarterback. You know, those are very elementary type of things to look at. But at the same time, when you're betting for or against Alabama, aren't we pretty much only going off a situation and emotion and motivation with the Crimson Tide? Well, yes. And I'm 100% in in, in agreement with you. Um, but, you know, I think that it almost seems to me that Alabama's ratcheted it up a notch in the last couple of years. I mean, you know, there was a time where, you know, they would get up 25 or 30 and kind of coast in the second half. But it's almost like college basketball. They just don't do that anymore. You know, they will just continue to score. So, you know, when I look at Alabama, any Alabama bet, you know, I mean, you're always going to pay a super premium to play on Alabama and how many points is enough to get you to take the other team is really all it boils down to because with Alabama, it's not situational in this game with Florida. It is situational. Yeah. And the line on this one, opening line, Alabama minus 14 over under 58 current line is Alabama minus 14.5 over under 59 with how good, Georgia is looking right now and you know they're obviously on a collision course there do you think that I I never want to say Saban has something to prove but with the new quarterback and not so great looking against Mercer do you think that he's going to come out here with something to prove with a little extra motivation going into Florida oh absolutely I mean you know Saban has not lost to an SEC East team since 2010 at South Carolina and if you don't think he's keenly aware of that streak, you're mistaken. And for reference, I was actually at that game. How was it? It was very cool because my daughter went to South Carolina. So, I mean, that was just an absolute blast. You uh, remember that, the score? Uh, no, not exactly. I do remember. This is funny because I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, South Carolina was ahead at halftime and they pretty much controlled the game. And, you know, this is when they had Lattimore and Jadavian Clowney and South Carolina was not a, was not a slouch team, but they weren't Alabama, but uh, Steven Garcia was their quarterback who I can remember Sparrier just yelled at him, even if he did something good, because, you know, his elevator didn't go all the way to the top. 
So South Carolina gets the ball to start the second half. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. You know, maybe we can get a two-and-a-half score lead here. Well, first play from scrimmage. They're on about their own 20 or 25, whatever it was, after the ball was kicked out of bounds. Garcia's in the shotgun. And the center snaps the ball. It, it didn't even go over his head. It kind of like went beside him. So he could have caught it. So he turns around and runs and picks it up. And in college, you know, you're down when you're down, right? You don't, you don't need to be touched. So all he had to do was fall on the ball, or he had plenty of time to pick it up and throw it out of bounds. What does he do? He picks it up, turns around, and throws it out of his own end zone. Well, Smart, smart play, right? That's like, that's like two points for the other team and the ball. That's a safety. You think he was aware of that during the time? Absolutely not. I think he was a friggin' idiot. I mean... Well, I don't know if you got Nebraska in week one against Illinois, but um, their punt returner threw it forwards out of bounds while being tackled for a safety. Maybe he thought that if he threw it far enough that it wouldn't be a safety. Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head when we were talking about some of the other stuff here is that we're dealing with 18 to 20-year-old kids. Yeah, no doubt. Um, another point against Alabama that I want to make, you know, um, I don't care – how good of a team, you know, you may have, I think it takes special people to go up against an Alabama team. Obviously Auburn contested. They have that huge rivalry who could ever forget probably the greatest college game that I've ever watched when they returned that field goal back for a touchdown. I mean, if you were in that building, you're one of the luckiest people that there is in college football. But when teams get down against Alabama, do you think the aura and the mystique of who they are just builds and builds and builds on the team that's falling behind? And it's just something that they give up quicker than they would against maybe somebody else? Yeah, definitely. And I think for most teams, that's true. I mean, I think there's a few teams that uh, it might take longer for Alabama to beat into mental submission but I think eventually everybody gets beat into mental submission. I mean, you know, you can only have hope in a game so many times and, you know, turn it over or, you know, come close to tying it up. And all of a sudden, um, you know, the next thing, you know, Bryce Young's throwing an 80 yard touchdown pass one play drive. I mean, you can only recover from that so many times. So yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think that's the way saving coaches. I mean, he knows he's got the better players. Um, I think um, I think he just wants to beat you mentally into it uh, to where no matter how good you are, you just you just don't have any more desire to play. And that's you know, that's impressive. I, I thoroughly enjoy that. A lot of people don't like Alabama. Um, I love watching Alabama because they do that. Yeah, he's the best, obviously, and it's easy to jump on that bandwagon. You know, as a football fan, you either love Tom Brady, or Tom Brady, or you hate him. You hate Bill Belichick, or you love him. Same thing with Saban in his category. You know, I think that as football fans, we're so lucky to be living in the time that we have to watch somebody like Brady's doing what he's doing, what Belichick did with Brady, and then Saban in college football. You know, I, I, I pride myself as a man of faith, but at the same time, I just love when Saban holds those kids accountable, whether it be on the sideline, on national TV, whatever the score is. He's always going to hold those kids accountable for all those reasons that we talked about. If I was betting with your money, as Dave would say, uh, give me Alabama and give me the over any takes before we move on, Dave. Yeah. I mean, this is a classic. How many points are enough to take Florida? And, you know, you mentioned the number. What's interesting is it opened 14. Uh, and of course, everybody pounded on Alabama as, you know, on my first thought, knee jerk reaction was as well uh, and push it to 16 without too much effort. Now, bear in mind that, in the early cycles of lines without much money in the market and no liquidity, 
it's going to take a lot less to move a line, but you know, that's a significant move. And, you know, it's already come back to 14 and a half. And what's really surprising for me is that total uh, that went from 57 to almost 60. I think, uh, I think bookmaker is 61. And that's a fairly sharp book. Um, you know, I would like to have, uh, I mean, I think that's where the real money is right now. I would have liked to have bet that early. I didn't. Uh, but with that said, you know, I can't justify taking a bad number. Um, the question is, you know, how many of those points is Florida going to score? Um, I, I actually have to assume a fair amount, to be honest. You know, for me, this is all about the Gator quarterback situation. Emory Jones has looked terrible. Anthony Richardson's looked like super electric, uh, but he had a hamstring issue last week. Mullen's been pretty tight-lipped in spite of everyone clamoring for him to start, and I don't disagree. Um, Bryce Young looked pretty special in that Miami game. Um, but he's is he going to average almost 10 yards per attempt at Florida? I, I tend to think not. Um, you know, the Gators looked pretty ugly in that second half against South Florida, uh, which did piss me off because I laid 28 points and they were up 35-3, I think, at halftime. But, you know, they did put up 660 yards of offense. And, you know, maybe the letdown was uh, lack of focus and, and looking ahead to this game. Um, but UCF was also able to move the ball with, with ease on them, which is in part why this total is where it is. And that type of letdown is – the six degrees of separation between Dan Mullen and Nick Saban. Um, you know, Mullen let that happen with his second string and did nothing about it. Um, Saban would have benched everybody uh, on, on drive number one had that happened. So, you know, for me, it's now a question of at what number do I take the over? And uh, is this the time to take Florida plus 14 and a half? Um, maybe, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I've read most of the articles coming out of Gainesville and the Gators are saying all the right things, but almost too much. So, I mean, they, they, I think a reporter asked, I forget who it was, one of the linebackers and asked if they were ready to play Alabama. And, and he kind of said, it's Alabama ready to play us almost like bulletin board material. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, I think this, this is one of those, Justin, if you made me with your money, I might swallow and take Florida with the points. Yeah, obviously these games are much bigger for the opponent than they are from Alabama. This is just status quo. They play in big games all the time. It's nothing new to them. And the, the moment, you know, whenever I analyze things and I've talked about it on previous podcasts, I'm kind of worried about the situation and the time of the game and this, that and the other. All those things are non-factors uh, to me with Nick Saban team. So um, <clears throat> I don't buy any bulletin board material. I just buy the things that uh, Saban can put on his fingers, and he has a lot of those. Next game, we have number eight, Cincinnati Bearcats coming in at 2-0 against unranked Indiana Hoosiers at 1-1. Opening line, Cincinnati minus 3.5 over under 51. Current line is Cincinnati minus 4 over under 49.5. Out of everybody in college football, Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter might be my favorite of all of them. I know that last time in the bowl game last year against Georgia, they had some guys sitting out because of uh, NFL prospects and so on and so forth. But what he showed me as a leader and what he did on the field and how he competed in that game uh, against a very, very good Georgia team just kind of won me over. And I'm always a big supporter of him. 
Does that mean that I'm going to take him and lay the points? I'm not saying that, but as far as my regards to quarterbacks and college football rankings, he's at the top of my list. So um, it's, it's something that I really pay attention to when I handicap this game uh, on the other side of it, uh, Dave, what Indiana team do you think we're going to expect here? The one uh, that never got off the bus against Iowa or the one that came back home and throttled an Idaho team. I, I think my knee jerk reaction to that would be the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I, I think that I'm, I'm considering taking Indiana. I know that's a hard bet to make, but I, I still have to look at Cincinnati playing Miami of Ohio and Murray state. And I think Murray state was up on him seven, nothing. That game was tied at halftime. So, you know, I mean, I know it's 42 to seven final, but you know, does that mean there's, you know, did Cincinnati have a lack of focus? Do they have some vulnerability you know, yeah, I mean, the Hoosiers lost, what, I think 35 to 6 to Iowa. Uh, but the fact is they played Iowa, who's obviously an elite team. And I think that counts for something. Um, you know, why was Cincinnati opening minus three and a half, only minus four? You know, they're the number eight team, I believe. Um, it opened. I mean, it hasn't moved a whole lot. Most of the tickets are on are on Cincinnati, as you'd expect. So I think my, my reaction would be, well, why would I want to follow the lemmings over a cliff? Uh, I know the lemmings win sometimes, but you know, the Hoosiers only conference loss last year was, was at Ohio state by seven. Um, they, they held Ole Miss to 20 points, the Lane Kiffin offense in the Outback Bowl. So do they have a better defense than people think? Maybe. Uh, I, I know you mentioned last year's peach bowl um, and, and Cincinnati, I think they only lost to Georgia by three. Uh, but that was a game that I would already question, you know, did Georgia really want to play Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl after their preseason expectations? Probably not. Because, you know, the Hoosiers bring back about 80% of their production on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, as you mentioned, um, UC brings back a lot. They bring back most of their offense. But they lost quite a bit on defense. Um, and I was a little surprised. I tried to look at some history. These teams haven't played since 2000. So, I think if you made me today on Wednesday afternoon, I would be very tempted to take the Hoosiers at home plus a few points. And one of the reasons I've tipped in that direction is, as you mentioned, the line opened 51, the total did, and it's down to 49. Um, I would be, you know, it's not a huge thing, but, you know, none of these handicaps are ever huge things. If they were huge things, this would be easy. Now, I think the, the culmination of little things here tell me that I would take the Hoosiers plus four points. Yeah, I tend to lean that way as well. The only thing that really drives me back from Cincinnati is who they play next week. They have Notre Dame. Um, is Cincinnati going to be able to lose one of these two games and still make it into the college football playoffs? Probably not. I guess there's an outside chance they could lose to Notre Dame and beat Indiana and then maybe be asked, but probably not going to happen. So they're in for the two biggest weeks of their life. Um, at the same time, I know we're going to get full motivation out of Cincinnati, but I also think we're going to get uh, more than full information or full uh, motivation out of uh, Indiana. Penix Jr. has not looked good through two weeks. Um, like we said, even though they're a very good Iowa team, he was embarrassed in his first game back. 
but he's a big game quarterback. And even though he hasn't looked good, I tend to believe at home in front of his home fans, uh, he's going to, he's going to do what it takes. He's going to, he's going to leave it all out there. And I know that's kind of a very average handicap, you know, quarterback's going to play as hard as he can. Yeah. But I think it means something to him. You know, Cincinnati is obviously coming in very highly ranked. They're two and zero. And in my opinion, I'd like to get your opinion on it in a strange way. I think that Indiana can get right back on track and a win here would make up for the Iowa loss. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, different teams have different motivations, as you mentioned. And so you bring up a very good point. You know, Cincinnati's motivation is to be a non-Power 5 team that gets into the Final Four. Um, you know, that's kind of a bigger picture, if you will. So, as you mentioned, like Indiana, this their motivation is beating Cincinnati. So I would think their focus and their motivation might be a little bit higher. Um, so yes, absolutely. You, you led me down a perfect road to, to go ahead and say that. And, you know, I, I looked at that Cincinnati schedule and I did see that they play Notre Dame next week. And that was kind of a, I mean, in their next game, and that was kind of a, you know, do I want to go there? But if I'm not mistaken, they have a bye before they play Notre Dame. So um, that was kind of one of my, you know, I wish they didn't because I would definitely take Indiana, but uh, they do have a bye next week. So that's kind of one of the the small ticks in, in Cincinnati's favor, if you will. But yeah, in terms of motivation, and I think uh, I know I've talked about it on, on different podcasts. I don't know that you and I have, but you know, the, the whole, the whole um, playing with expectations thing, you know, I mean, Indiana doesn't really have them and Cincinnati does. Um, and, and they've had them, in years past, but not maybe this high. So is, you know, playing with higher expectations, um, a little more stressful, if you will, it can be to some teams. And I think that's going to come down to coaching and, you know, I'll let you speak to that between Cincinnati and Indiana. I have a strong opinion. I am a I'm a big believer in anybody who comes out of Ohio State. So don't get me started with Fickle. I'd follow that guy through, I guess, uh, any mission that he wants to go on. One thing I just want to highlight for some of the listeners is this somewhere where you would maybe consider a Cincinnati money line or Indiana money line and just throw the spread out of it. Um, probably not, and I'll tell you why. And again, I, you know, we haven't rehearsed this, and I don't know what you're going to say, and vice versa. But that total coming down kind of tells me that points might be a little more valuable. You know, if that total were up in the, in the, in the mid to upper fifties, I would tend to think the the spread might be less meaningful. You know, the, the more that total comes down, the more meaningful the spread. So although that is something that I would do on occasion, it probably wouldn't be this game for that reason. Yeah, I understand that money line is uh, minus 175 for the Bearcats, plus 155 for Indiana. You know, I kind of lean both ways uh, a little bit more towards Cincinnati with me just for the fact that I think it means more to them. I know that it means a lot to Indiana, but I just think there's a little bit more at risk, obviously, with Cincinnati if they if they were to suffer a loss. Um, one thing that I did really like, though, is the under on this game. It's come down. I still like it at that 49 and a half. And the only reason is, is 
because for Cincinnati, I think they're going to treat it as a playoff game. And I was mistaken. There is that buy. I should, I should never overlook something like that. That's where my average handicap coming, comes in that gets me in trouble. Um, but they're going to treat it like a playoff game and Indiana is going to do whatever they can um, to try to win the game as well. So I don't think they're going to go out here and go shot for shot. And I definitely don't think that Cincinnati is going to bring out their full playbook, knowing that they are going to have to play Notre Dame in their next game, even with the bye. Um, Jerome Ford, um, running back for Cincinnati, is averaging 7.8 uh, yards per attempt. While in the Indiana game versus Iowa, they did give up 4.4 yards per attempt to Iowa. Uh, I just think that Cincinnati and Fickle know that they need to control the ball. Uh, they need to limit turnovers, and they need to run and control the clock to win big games. I think that's kind of the status quo no matter what level you're at, high school, college, uh, or the pros. If you're in a tight game where either team can win, who's going to control the possession? Who's going to control the ball? And I don't think they're, they're going to be letting any cats out of the bag here. So that's why I, I do have a like on the under for that reason. Next game. Now, this is a family favorite of our or my Uncle Dave. We have unranked South Carolina coming at 2-0, a mighty 2-0. They're going to be traveling to Athens to face the Georgia Bulldogs, who are also 2-0. Opening line is Georgia minus 30 over under 48 and a half. Current line, Georgia minus 32. I did see this afternoon. You could find it maybe 31 and a half at some places over under 48. Uncle Dave, I have a strong opinion on it, which probably means in the back of my mind that it's probably not that great of a handicap. But I'm going to let you start with South Carolina and Georgia because I know you have some rooting interest here. Well, I have rooting interest, but I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. I'm not because I know you have a strong opinion. Um, I'm just going to, you know, it, it's a it's a sizable rivalry. I mean, I, I know people uh, know it's a rivalry because it's the SEC East, but I mean, in the South, it's a it's you know outside of of Georgia, Florida, um, probably the next biggest Georgia rivalry, really, at least until they get to play Alabama and, and Atlanta. Um, you know, they're border states. They compete uh, for a lot of kids recruiting-wise. But all that thrown out, you know, Georgia talent-wise, uh, they can name the score. They got Vanderbilt next week. So, you know, they, they have no reason to back off. Uh, and I don't think they will. Um, I, South Carolina will struggle to score. Um, I'm not going to read a lot into that late ECU win they had. Uh, they didn't play well. Um, they never play well at those smaller schools on the road, uh, but they have a big time quarterback issue right now. Um, South Carolina's defense has talent. So I'm actually looking at the, the South Carolina team total, I think was eight and a half. Uh, and, and I actually like the under, um, believe it or not. I'm not sure they'll get in the end zone twice. They haven't scored more than 20 against Georgia since 2014. But uh, in those six games, they've held Georgia under 28, three times. And Georgia only beat them by more than 30, the spread-ish, if you will, only once in like 50 years. So uh, that speaks to the rivalry, if you will. Um, but I am going to pass on this one. Uh, I mean, there's zero chance I'm laying 31 and a half points, um, even though Georgia is quite capable. Uh, but South Carolina's ineptness on offense is probably not enough to get me to take those points. So if you made me bet this game, I would actually take South Carolina under eight and a half points. But I'm more curious to see what the impartial observer, Coach J-Rod, has to say. 
Well, this might be a big letdown to you, but okay, here we go. So here's my stance. I do have a best bet on this game. I normally don't run it by you before the podcast just because I like to get your natural reaction. I did this week because it's one of those times where I'm very, very confident in it, like super confident. And any time that I'm this confident, it always turns out to be a loser. So I'm just going to throw that out there, but I'm confident in it nonetheless. The defense for Georgia is has to be one of the – and you've been watching football a lot longer than I have – has to be historically ranking so far through two weeks. Obviously, it's only two weeks, but they played the number two, three team in the country with the most amount of talent that you could possibly have on a college football field outside of Alabama. The defense has been amazing. Um, they are only giving up 177 yards per game, and that's obviously including the Clemson game. But my my handicap is more towards South Carolina, like you're talking about. I look at the team total, eight and a half. That's absurd quarterback Zeb Nolan for South Carolina has been a transfer junkie he started out at Iowa State and then lost the job there transferred to North Dakota State where he sat behind Trey Lance and then he sat out all of 2020 before coming to South Carolina he's a senior and a native of Georgia so maybe there's some motivation there that I'm not really taking into consideration, but he has never in any part of his four years in college football seen what the Georgia defense is going to throw at him. It's in Athens. It is a six o'clock start. It is on ESPN. The dogs are ready to showcase in an SEC matchup why they are the only true challenger to Alabama and the Crimson Tide, not to mention South Carolina only put up one offensive touchdown against ECU. Coach Beamer said right there on ESPN that he thinks the last second win and that field goal against ECU will prepare Held them and give them confidence going into this Georgia game. There is no chance I'm buying it, not even with your money, but because it's an SEC team and because I can't really um, gauge motivation for second halves, I'm going to take the Georgia Bulldogs minus 18 and a half, first half number. I don't think that South Carolina is going to score. If they do, they might get a cheap field goal. I'm going to pray we don't get no absurd fumble return for a touchdown. I don't care who the quarterback is for Georgia. Um, Georgia minus 18 and a half, first half line, best bet. I will say there's some books that have it down to 18. Now, obviously, that's better. But coming into this, I'm going to hold myself into a higher regard than that. I'm going to taste the worst number for the public. So it's 18 and a half, first half, the Bulldogs. Uncle Dave, tell me where I'm wrong. Um, I can't tell you where you're wrong, um, but if you like it that much, you know, is it like a double best bet? Because I know that you're 2-0 and on these. I mean, you're not going to put them both on the line, I wouldn't think. But, you know, here's my thing. Um, 21-3 Georgia at halftime, is, that sounds about right, based on the, based on the uh, history, based on the line. Um, you better not lay that hook. 21-3, Georgia, halftime. I wouldn't lay the hook either. Obviously, I'm not an imbecile. If I could get it at 18, I absolutely would. Um, but I'm just saying I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard on record, and I'm going to take the 18 and a half because that's where I liked it at. So if I like it at that, I'm going to give it at that. I'm actually impressed. You, you put a lot of energy and emotion into that. I think you might have this whole tough thing done already. I mean, that was, that was well done. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, but like I said, whenever I'm this confident, it's normally a loser. The thing that I'm banking on is that regardless of quarterback, did you see how Georgia just came out slinging the ball? Obviously, they played a terrible opponent at home last week, but that doesn't matter. What that showed me is that the offense is comfortable no matter who's behind center. That crowd in Athens is finally ready 
for national championship expectations like they were last year. The only difference is, is that they handled Clemson and it's becoming more true. It's a first SEC game. It's on ESPN. It's a six o'clock start. You think those boys are going to be ready? If we can get a touchdown within the first three minutes, that place is going to be rocking South Carolina and their quarterback, Zeb, won't know what to do with themselves. The, uh, the defense is going to put them in great situations. They're going to create turnovers. I mean, did Nolan show you anything in the first two games that, that would make you believe that he could handle any part of what George is going to give him? Oh, you're, 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 I'm so convinced that I think at, at 6 o'clock on Saturday, I'm going to watch a rerun of Bachelor in Paradise with my wife. I mean. <laughs> well, here's the thing. When why, it comes is, to- why, are they even, why is South Carolina even going to Athens? Dave, just please remind me, the best betters in the world hit how many? What's the percentage? 53. Okay. so 52.48. Perfect. So if I fall on this 47 point whatever, uh, don't hold me hostage. But I am taking the worst line. Um, I believe in it. It's probably a loser. When South Carolina takes the first kickback for a touchdown, I am going to be rolling over. But um, you, you mentioned double best bet. This is something that I would have done in my earlier days. I would have emptied out the savings account. I would have done this, that, and the other because I'm just so for, so for sure on this. But I have aged. I've matured. I've married. I have children. I am just going to go ahead and do my normal unit amount. Are you impressed by that, Uncle Dave? I am. I am. It's you know I like the sincerity too. I'm I'm older. I'm married. I have children. So I actually have other people telling me what to do now. That's that's right. The other thing is my wife would find it uh, pretty suspicious if I give more than my normal tiger fist pump uh, after a quarter or maybe after a play. If I doubled or tripled down, uh, my head might be going through some drywall or I might be curling up under a blanket so that way nobody could see me if I'm on the losing side. Yeah, or, or that's when you go pick up pizza and it takes you two and a half hours to come back. <laughs> Perfect. Or uh, my wife not want, might not want me to come back. So last game here, we have uh, the one that I'm looking forward to the most just as far as a, a watching aspect. Uh, but we have the number 22 Auburn Tigers coming in at 2-0. They're going to travel to Penn State, who's also, number, who's also 2-0, number 10 in the country. Opening line, Penn State, minus 7 over under 53 current line is coming down uh penn state minus five over under 52.5 i'm emotional better i look at different things uncle dave i look at atmosphere i look at time frame i look at where they're at this is a whiteout game this is something that i looked into my first sense he was wow prime time whiteout against undefeated auburn you know sec opponent this that and the other then I found out that the wideout games have only produced an eight and eight record for Penn state. And the more that I look at it, I'll give my analysis after you, but I'm on Auburn here. Um, you know, I was originally going to take Penn state, but there's a buttload of money that says you're right and I'm wrong. So I'll just tell you where I was at when I looked at this game first. And, you know, I, I figured people would look at, Auburn's cumulative 122 to 10 for the first two games and just salivated getting points. And maybe they are, but, you know, consider those were two home games against Akron, who subsequently got crushed by Temple and Alabama State. So I'm going to pump the Auburn brakes for just a minute. Um, I'm not a Bo Nix fan. Um, He did complete 60. uh, He didn't complete 60% of his passes his first two years down there. And, and through 13 picks to 28 TDs, he was sacked 38 times. 
Uh, and against ranked teams last year, he had four TDs and three picks. Uh, two years ago, non-COVID year, his numbers weren't really much different. Um, two years ago on the road, um, less than 50% passer. Last year on the road, four TDs, six picks. You know, So that makes it tough for me to back Auburn uh, on the road and obviously what's going to be a hostile environment. You know, and on the other side, while Clifford he isn't dynamic, he did go into Wisconsin as a sizable underdog and beat the Badgers, uh, if by nothing else, not make a mistakes. And, you know, talk about a team that wins games they shouldn't. You know, they only ran half as many plays as Wisconsin, only had the ball for 17 minutes and still won the game. Um, you know, clearly defense got that done. And I don't think Auburn, uh, they obviously haven't seen a defense like that this year, but you know, I'm not sure they even do in the SEC – uh, aside from Alabama, see a defense like that. And I think the big thing that, that might be in Penn State's favor is that the expectations are, of most people around the country, you know, they didn't really have lofty expectations. Uh, but if Penn State wins here, they're probably 5-0 and heading into Iowa in three weeks. And, you know, while I think that Brian Harson is a big upgrade, uh, no doubt, um, you know, Boise State is not the SEC and he's not Chris Peterson. You know, I look back at Boise's record, uh, both on the road and against upper echelon teams, if you will, wasn't nearly as solid as, as Peterson's were over the years. And, you know, at night in Happy Valley with the whiteout, you know, it would not surprise me if Auburn gets humanized. So that was my initial uh, reaction. Um, I, I, I do like Penn State, but I am extremely mindful of the fact that a lot of people don't. So I'm going to uh, take the fifth for the time being. but. What I won't do, uh, which thank you for bringing up another interesting point while I was thinking, is I won't take Auburn. Uh, for one thing, I would be, if you know, assuming the line holds to where it is now, I would be taking the worst of it. When I could have had seven, I won't do that. Um, and I won't flip, even if the line were the same. And this is sort of an emotional thing with me that um, if my, my initial work, if you will, I mean, my initial lean would be, okay, I look when the lines come up, but then I look at the game, do the work, and I like Penn State. Um, I won't flip to taking Auburn. And the reason being is I would rather um, leave off a winner and let Auburn win and say, yeah, the sharp people were right and, and Dave was wrong. I can handle that much better than I can if I flip and I was right the first time and Penn State kicked the shit out of him. I would be bullshit. So I just don't do that. So um, I will either take Penn State or pass. Well, that's what kind of what we talked about with hedging as well. You know, you do all this research and then you make the play. And then if you hedge on it and you're right the first time, you're going to be mad at yourself, you know, like you talked about. Ultimately, I know what, what Nick's um, uh, stats are on the road. And more importantly, he does too. Uh, he's a junior now. Um, they do have a first-year head coach there that obviously has a lot to prove. You know, like I said before, when I think about these games, the, the time matters, the emotion matters, uh, betting on young kids matter. Um, but at the same time, if there's anybody that's going to be uh, prepared for a situation like this, isn't it somebody who has to go up against Alabama and Georgia uh, regularly? Isn't it somebody who has to play in the best conference in college football regularly? Um, I, 
I just see this as a field goal game. I don't have any stats to prove it. I don't have any uh, analysis uh, when it comes to numbers, this, that, and the other. To me, this is a motivated uh, team on both sides of the ball. I think that they both have a lot to prove. Um, do I think that the Franklin News and USC is going to be a little bit of a distraction? Maybe, but in the moment, kids aren't really thinking about that. You know, they're just playing as hard as they can, especially um, the upper level teams. But um, to me, it's just a field goal game. And I know I'm taking the worst number. This is where I haven't fully matured to my uncle's status. Um, I am going to take the worst number uh, at plus five because in my mind, I just mark it down, see it as a last second uh, walk-off field goal, or at very least, I believe in Auburn's offense enough with a maybe not so uh, trustworthy uh, Bo Nix on the road, but coming into a veteran as a college uh, quarterback, uh, I see the backdoor cover uh, wide open. Um, I can't get to Penn State for a number of reasons, but just deep down inside, I see it as a a field goal game. And for that reason, I'm going to be ignorant and take the worst number at uh, five. Yeah, I mean, you make some very valid points. The only one I might um, disagree with you or downgrade a little bit is, you know, your your point about Auburn playing in the SEC and having to go play Alabama or, or LSU or wherever on the road is well taken. But to me, you know, this is Brian Harson. This is not Gus Malzahn or Gene Chizik or Tommy Tuberville that, that did that a bunch of times. So – while you, you may well be right, um, if it were Gus Milzahn, I would say you're probably very right. I got to wait and see what Harson can do here before I, I sort of endorse Auburn, to be honest with you. And, you know, I don't knock him. Auburn's a very good football team. Harson's a very good coach. I just don't like the situation. And that'll get down to, you know, where, you know, what has more relevance? You know, we have all these little things in every one of these games. And, and which one is the... The key one, you know, obviously most of all of these things that we've talked about are factored into that line. Um, so which one is going to be the one that uh, goes ahead and, and tips the scales? And I guess for me, um, it had to be Penn State's defense. And again, you make good points. I could be very wrong, uh, but, you know, that's a game I will definitely want to see. If it's uh, somebody between me and you being wrong, I think you're probably minus probably 250, and I'm probably a plus uh, major, major money. So uh, I'm always going to ride with you. (laughs) And I gave you the DNA pedigree. It's minus 110 at best, pal. I just think of these big, big power five jobs, you know, so, so much of the time, there's so much expectation because of who the hire is. You know, you hire somebody like Lane Kiffin or James Franklin or somebody like that. Yeah, the expectations are high because they're supposed to do well. I think people are at Auburn were disappointed with the hire. I think the coach has a chip on his shoulder. I think he wants to show that he can compete. I think he wants to show that he is worthy of the job. And I think this is his first test. Now, granted, the players play, but I think this is the biggest game of his coaching career. And I think he's I, – I, I just think he's going to come ready to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I can totally see that, you know. I mean – I think it'll be a close game and I think it'll come down to the last couple of possessions. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting. You know, I can see one of those games where Penn state wins and doesn't cover. And, you know, that old game Plinko, we used to drop the, the, the plastic circle thing at the top and see where it lands on the bottom. And so many of these games come down to that. Like, you know, for example, you know, Penn state could be, be up four 
uh, with the ball inside Auburn's 10 uh, and it's fourth down, but Auburn doesn't have any more timeouts left and Penn State doesn't need to kick a field goal, so the game's over. I mean, you know, that, you know, or, or you know, Penn State's up four and Auburn's driving and whoopsie, pick six and Penn State covers. I mean, I can see it being one of those games uh, totally. And I think of all the games this weekend, that's the one I'm most interested to see how it plays out because there are all these variables that we've spent all this time on. Would you uh, disown me as a nephew if I took Penn State money line and then put Auburn plus the five and bet on the middle? Um, would I disown you? No, because I've done that before. Because I kind of like that play. At most of the time, you're going to push. At worst, you're going to lose one unit, and at best, you're going to gain three. Yeah, when I when I've done things like that, now I, I don't think that's the sharpest thing in the world to do. It's not. It's not. But, but you know, we all have that little degenerate in us that likes to be right all the time. And you know, I, I would do that. I don't know what the money line is. Um, you know, minus minus two hundred. I've seen a one ninety five minus two hundred yeah, on the two hundred. So you know, I would bet one unit on the money line and and two units on 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 Auburn plus the points. So I had equal risk on both sides. Right. And then you middle and then you have a really nice steak dinner. Yeah. I mean, but I tried that in the NFL last week and got my ass kicked. (laughs) All of a sudden your wife doesn't know why you're going out for a $300 steak dinner for, you know, on a, on a Saturday night. Right. Why it took me two and a half hours to go pick up a pizza. (laughs) The pizza is probably more likely, but every squirrel finds a nut. Well, that was a great podcast, Uncle Dave. It's always a pleasure. It's one of the best times of my week. Guys, I, I, I can't stress this enough. Please remember to go check out bettingpredators.com. These guys come from some really high-level, important people. There's high-level knowledge where they have tons of free and premium content, everything from picks, props, fantasy advice, season-long, daily fantasy. And then, of course, you're always going to get hopefully less of me and a whole lot more of Uncle Dave here for free every week we're going ahead and break down at least five college games um it's been fun up to this point hopefully it's been profitable for you and uh hopefully we get more and more listeners each week uh any final thoughts uncle dave no i was just thinking i, I you know people people track what we do and what our picks are and oh shit you went two and three last week or you suck this year but i think i think we were like we did okay the first week it wasn't great but i think we only had three games and i I think we were on our consensus we were like, I think four and one last week. So, you know, we should have at least one more listener this week. Darn right. The youths let us down, didn't they? They did. I think that's God showing us a sign, you know, as, as followers. Oh, it was the holy war, buddy. <laughs> yeah. As followers, he was like, you know better than to do anything on this game. And uh, we weren't going to win regardless. But anyways, it was a wonderful time. I appreciate it. Hopefully we get some more listeners. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast and we will see you next week.